Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the President and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Hey, Bobby. Great to see you, as always. As always, yes. And we have some hot topics still to talk about with FDA and LDT regulation because this is the week where labs and other stakeholders were asked to submit comments on the FDA's proposed ruling. So this would be a perfect time to talk about that again, refresh everyone's memory, and then we could talk a little bit about what we did on behalf of Mayo Clinic. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I know we've talked about this a lot, but the reality yep. is that this is a huge issue huge. for all of us in labs and providing patient care through clinical laboratory diagnostics. And so it's definitely worth our attention. As you said, the FDA put out their proposed rule, which again is really saying they were going to end discretionary enforcement. It isn't even necessarily a new rule per se, in their view. And they gave a 60-day window to provide comments, which is short. Some people asked for more time. The FDA said no. It is within their administrative rights to have a 60-day window. They haven't violated anything. But this is super important because this now, all the comments that are submitted now become part of the public record, right? Yes. They get published, I think, in a thing called the Federal Registry. So yes, very important that, as we've said before, that institutions make known their concerns. And we certainly did. We worked together, you and I, and a lot of support mm -hmm. from a lot of really smart people around Mayo Clinic to, to get our comments together. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what those comments were in the process. Uh, they will be and actually are now in the public record. So from Mayo Clinic, DLMP, the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology, and then Mayo Collaborative Services, Bill, in your role as CEO, and that includes our reference lab, Practice Mayo Clinic Laboratories, we really partnered together because we felt this would have a potentially profound impact, a negative impact on patient care. So this was important. This was actually a, a Mayo Clinic institution-wide response. Exactly. And we really outlined the arguments, but in a productive way, I think that came up with next steps. And probably the bottom line is that Mayo Clinic is opposed to broad oversight by the FDA on the regulation of laboratory developed tests because we feel this would have unintended consequences that could reduce, probably would reduce patient access to testing. There may be some labs that stop offering tests because of these new requirements and it could really undermine innovation. What are I your mean, thoughts on that? I 100% agree, mm -hmm. you know, is that it, it will do two things because as mm -hmm. soon as a final rule is published, that is the law. So people will start to make decisions right then and there about, even though there's a time window to submit, if you're going to do submit like a PMA, a pre-market assessment in three and a half years, that means you have to start collecting the data. I mean, that's a lot. There's a very yeah. big lift, right? So yeah, you're right. I think that the, the concern that it will almost immediately decrease access, it'll certainly make labs if they're going to stop tests they're currently doing, they're much less likely to invest in new ones as well, right? Without real clarity yeah. on how this is going to go forward. And then the, the other big thing is that, as you and I discussed, there was a lot of work that went into a legislative solution that if FDA was going to do this, it's like, I mean, we're all believers in patient quality. 
we already submit, the labs already are, have a lot of regulatory oversight between CLIA, between state medical boards and others. And I know that's part of our comments back. But really, we have said all along that if FDA was going to have a role, that there needed to be a lab test specific framework for which they should do it by, which need to be mm-hmm. uh, enacted through legislation. So I think that's another major point. If they're going to go forward with this, we're not in favor of broad oversight, but if they're going to go forward, they need a legislative solution. They shouldn't try and duct tape a framework created for devices onto lab developed tests because lab developed tests are not devices. Yes, they're really unique and they are created by laboratories, often for a local population that they serve, although there are also LDTs used through reference lab testing. But it's important to mention, I'll speak for Mayo Clinic, we are a CLIA certified laboratory. We're accredited through the College of American Pathologists and all of our tests undergo New York State review. And there are a lot of laboratories like this, um, many, many that are CAP accredited. So there are these existing frameworks already with very robust quality control, quality management systems in place. So these tests are already highly regulated. Of course, you want them to be the highest quality. And I think that's something that labs are very good at. We're always aware of quality and trying to do quality improvement. And I think people, perhaps some of the groups that had been pro-regulation through the FDA may not have been fully aware of the extent of all of the quality systems that are already in place for laboratory-developed tests. Yeah, and the other thing is that there's just not a great single source of truth about how many lab-developed tests are currently used for patient care in the United States, right? Bobby, you can speak to, I know from my role, I sat in your chair, you know, up until a year or so ago. I mean, how many lab-developed tests do we have at Mayo Clinic alone? Oh, yeah, we have 1,600 approximately lab-developed tests. And even if we had to submit just half of those to the FDA over the four-year phase-in period, that would mean we would have to submit two each week for the next four years. That's just a tremendous amount. And I think even though most labs probably don't have that large of a volume, we are still talking about very large numbers here. And we should clarify that lab-developed tests are not just tests that are developed in-house by a lab, but any modification made to any existing FDA-approved test makes that test a lab-developed test. And so you may have a test that was released for only an adult population, but it's also used on pediatrics. Well, that's considered a modification if it wasn't part of the original approval. And so this is going to have a tremendous impact on pediatric hospitals, for example, on smaller laboratories that don't necessarily have the resources to submit to the FDA. They've been doing all the good quality things all along, but going through that full regulatory process and submitting the application, it's going to be a tremendous undertaking. It's a great point. I mean, the tests that we're talking about, and the reason we have so many at Mayo Clinic is because, you know, we focus on providing care for patients with serious and complex medical conditions, meaning that we really need to create those tests to get insights into those conditions. When we talk about personalized medicine, I mean, a lot of these are the tests that are crafted in even the ones that are FDA approved are modified to give the best possible answer to patients for a lot of these, you know, things that they expect in cancer and it, it just about every condition you can think yeah. of. And the other thing that brings to mind is that laboratorians modify FDA clear tests to improve, often to improve their performance or to, mm-hmm. to address something that wasn't in the FDA submission. So it's not like even FDA approved tests 
they're not some they are not necessarily a gold standard that everything should be held to right so yeah. that's i think a lot of the concerns that we have it's not like the fda has a finely honed process that accomplishes the things that they want to accomplish already so it gets back to the whole idea of unintended consequences if they go forward with this right yeah absolutely and i think also we, you never want to put a price on quality, but we have the quality systems to ensure these are good tests. And I think with very few exceptions, some notable, maybe high profile exceptions, th those are really outliers. In general, the quality of these laboratory tests being performed is quite high. And so then you add on the additional regulatory burden and a substantial cost. You mentioned PMAs earlier, Bill. The cost of a PMA user fee submission to the FDA is $483,560. So almost half a million dollars for a single test. Yeah. So you could see that that's going to be cost prohibitive and will likely increase the cost of healthcare for our patients. Yeah. And it gets back to, I mean, when we really do emphasize in our comments from Mayo Clinic, the potential unintended consequences, whenever you don't have good data, and then you introduce anything new into a system where you don't have good data before you introduce that measure, you're going to have unpredictable consequences, right? And that, that's the others. We don't really understand the economic impact. I know that the FDA in their proposed rule did have financial data in there in terms of the cost and benefit. But, you know, the, there's a lot of question as to you know, how informed those numbers are. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've heard that, you know, they, they had, I think I have a $5 billion cost for labs and a $30 billion deficit. I've heard numbers that it would be more like $30 billion cost for yeah. lab because, because people focus on the administrative cost. That's the administrative cost of submitting the PMA. Mm -hmm. There's all the costs of generating that data, housing that data in a way that's FDA compliant. It is a labor intensive and cost intensive process. And so without understanding that, the real concern is it'll decrease access to, and directly because they'll take lab labs and no longer be available. When you think about, you know, the clinical laboratory along with radiology and procedures are, are one of the three mainstays for financial sustainability of hospitals, which are already struggling post pandemic. You know, you really worry about just, just avail. You mentioned smaller mm -hmm. hospitals. You just worry about just destabilizing hospitals that have already really been struggling. So, you know, there's just a lot of reasons that a more thoughtful approach is needed. And that's really mm -hmm. what our comments say. And I think a lot of others as well. ACLA, American Clinical Lab Association will, of course, be publishing comments as well. Yeah. I know the Association CAP, Pathology, CAP yeah. Association Pathology Chairs. So really important to read and to stay engaged. I think the last thing I would say is the things that I've heard, and I know you've heard too, is that our voice matters with our congressional representation. And if you have a chance to now more than ever to maybe give your representative a tour of your laboratory, talk them through what constitutes a laboratory developed test, really get them engaged and informed with their staffers. I think that's going to be really important mm -hmm. because clearly this is something that as a next step, the legislative solution would be the best. So having this on the, the radar of our legislators and representations in Washington, D.C. is going to be really important. Yeah, Bill, I couldn't agree more. I think the, the point you made that we have a voice, we should be engaged, like our comments that Mayo Clinic made, we really all should be working with Congress as appropriate, patient communities, other stakeholders, reflecting on our work that we're doing with these groups and sharing comments with the FDA because LDTs are complex. They have unique qualities. This is our time to be heard. And I would also encourage everyone to go out and read the comments that are being submitted. 
as we said, they're all going to be in the public record. I think they're very informative. Make sure that you're educating yourself on all of the different aspects. There will likely be comments in there that may have different viewpoints as well. And I think it's always useful to read those and understand all the different ways, all the different backgrounds people are coming from. I agree 100%. And as always, it's been very a privilege to work with DLMP and work together on this, consistent with our values of teamwork and and mm -hmm. healing and compassion and stewardship. I mean, those are all Mayo Clinic Franciscan yeah. values, and they certainly come into play here as we work together to really just try and inform policymakers about the need to keep these things in mind as we as we keep the needs of the patient front and center for everything that we do. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Bill, for this really interesting conversation about this. Important for everyone. We will keep everyone updated on this. I'm sure we will be having further updates. We think that the FDA is going to want to move quickly on this, and so we will probably have more to talk about very soon. Yep, ears to the ground, as they Absolutely. say. Absolutely. All right, well, until okay. next time. Until next time. Right, see you see later, you, Bill. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.